this is the in focus podcast from the hindu mikhail gorbachev general secretary of the communist party of the soviet union from 1985 to 1991 died in moscow on august the 30th after a long illness he was 91 Gorbachev not only tried to introduce reforms and change in the erstwhile Soviet Union he actually presided over its demise in 1991 loved by the west gorbachev made two russian words glasnost or openness and perestroika or restructuring popular in the rest of the world multiple obituaries have been written on him evaluating his position as a leader central to ending the cold war between the west and the soviet union so what was gorbachev a reformer who didn't know how to wield power a leader who lost control of his own party a man who was ahead of his times a statesman who ended up altering the balance of forces in the world to the advantage of the west to discuss mikhail gorbachev's legacy i am joined by ps raghavan who was india's ambassador to russia he is currently chairman of the national security advisory board welcome to the hindus in focus podcast mr raghavan Thank you very much. Very good to be with you, Mr. Raghavan. The Guardian obituary on Mikhail Gorbachev describes him as the most important world figure of the last quarter of the twentieth century. Would you agree with such a proposition? Uh, one would have to agree with that, except that you know the importance. His importance was to the advantage of one part of humanity and disadvantage to another part of humanity. Important, he certainly was. the end of the cold war was a, a seminal event of the last century and gorbachev i can say everyone says single handedly brought an end to the cold war and that i think is a seminal achievement so what is your sense i mean you know you, you've been a long time watcher of russia and the soviet union you've had several postings as part of the indian foreign service in that part of the world what is your assessment you know having lived and worked there i mean what did gorbachev eventually mean for soviet union and then later russia well you know for the soviet union let's face it when gorbachev came into office the soviet union was already in very bad shape economically the command economy was not working it was led by a set of old tired and ailing leaders who did not know how to manage the country the arms race was actually killing them literally the misadventure in afghanistan they did not know how to handle it so he became leader at a time when the country when the country when the soviet union was at the end of its tether in a sense and he came with very with a, like a breath of fresh air he came with this idea that you need to open up very opaque society restructure the economy let winds of political change blow across the country all of which was actually meant to restore the soviet union to a position of being a real superpower that it was it was in many ways it was already becoming a shell of the superpower that it had been before with only the nuclear weapons and a, a strong military industry to show for its superpower dumb if you would like to call it that so to that extent i think gorbachev was somebody whom the soviet people the soviet people hailed as well and so did the you know i i remember uh, 
interacting with the central europeans around that time and i remember in fact a very famous polish singer when he was hosting when poland hosted gorbachev they really fated him they said here is a man who is going to bring the winds of political change even to the east european countries i mean they didn't think of becoming independent of the of the warsaw pact but they still thought that political freedoms would come so you know he meant a lot to people at that time in the soviet union and in the countries that the soviet union controlled the warsaw pact countries but you know things went all right i was going to say uh, mr ragwan that one of the first decisions i think he took was uh, to end uh, the Rus- the soviet uh, occupation of afghanistan would you say that that was one of the steps he took uh, you know important steps that was a very important step you know the two things that gorbachev realized right in the beginning that he needed to do if he had to put the soviet union back on track one was achieve some kind of a face saving withdrawal from afghanistan and number two put forward a very ambitious disarmament proposal which would keep the arms race in check both these were his major objectives he achieved one and did not achieve the other and only very partially achieved the other but yes certainly withdrawal from afghanistan was a very important requirement in fact which he achieved what would you say to he had many critics also i mean the people people came to him from different ideological standpoints but uh, you know if you look at um, you know president vladimir putin now you know he he has uh, been quite critical in the past of uh, gorbachev and his legacy and in fact in a recent speech on the 21st of february mr putin described lenin's principles of state development as worse than a mistake and uh, he said this became clear after the dissolution of the soviet union in 1991 so clearly there are contending sort of uh, visions of you know uh, a, a soviet legacy and russian nationalism here yeah no there but there are actually two different things in in what putin said about the manner in which the the so constituents of the soviet union uh, were structured i'll just come to that just a bit later because that is different from his views on gorbachev and what gorbachev did essentially putin has never frontally criticized gorbachev he has not taken on gorbachev personally he has always been very correct with gorbachev but the point he is making is actually the point that a number of other people have made that by his policy of negotiation by unilateral concession if, if you like he played his cards he threw away his cards that he could have uh, achieved what he wanted to achieve vis-a-vis the soviet union perhaps a little bit uh, much more intelligently than he did i mean that is that aspect of what putin says about gorbachev you just handed over the soviet union on a platter and east europe on a platter without negotiating anything in return now the other point that he is making on the speech of the 21st february and and with, with something that he has said very frequently before you know this is something that people don't recognize when when he talks even about ukraine as ukraine being an artificial country that's of course going too far but the point that he makes and the point that is known anybody who studied stalin's soviet union will know this that what stalin did much more than lenin by the way lenin did not have the time to do this what stalin did in order to put the soviet union together and to hold its disparate parts together is that every constituent every non russian constituent of the soviet union he ensured that he drew the borders in such a way that they included a substantial 
Russian ethnic population. That was his way of sort of ensuring that or trying to trying to prevent nationalism from taking hold and and becoming a separate and a fun, uh, sort of fueling a separatist movement. He did that with all the countries in the day, all the constituents of the Soviet Union, which were non-Russian uh, in nature. And that is the, what actually Putin was referring to. And <laughs> actually, you see what he says about Ukraine, that the, the eastern part of Ukraine, after all, has a large Russian-speaking population, as you know, the Donbass. But it's also true of all the Central Asian countries. It is also true. It's true of the uh, Baltic republics, where also you have significant Russian populations. Of course, the number is reducing over time. But this is what he was talking about when he talked about, he mentioned Lenin, but he actually meant Stalin in that uh, in, in these speeches. Also, uh, I mean, um, you know, Putin has also been saying that, uh, you know, some some sort of uh, written assurances that there would be no eastward creep of NATO. That was completely missing, you know, a point that you made earlier in the conversation that he, in a sense, threw away his cards. Would you say that some kind of written guarantees uh, about, um, you know, restricting NATO would have sort of, uh, you know, led to a different relationship uh, that uh, Russia might have had with the West? You know, actually, it's considerably more than that. It's not talked about these days because it's not politically correct to talk about it. But uh, William Taubman, you know, who's recently written, recently a few years ago, written a, a pretty extensive biography of Gorbachev. He recalls some of these uh, facts of that time. When, in fact, German unification was being talked about, when Germany, the united Germany being part of NATO was being talked about, you know, actually, Gorbachev got informal, not feelers, they, they, indications from Britain, from France, even in from certain political elements in America, Henry Kissinger being one of them, all of them hinting to him that, look, if you were to oppose the unification of Germany, you would not find us unwilling to listen to you. So there was actually some uh, kind of a, a trepidation in, in even in UK and France of permitting German unification so easily. I mean, you know, there is a history there. There is a history of the World War and from many decades and centuries. So in spite of that, Gorbachev went ahead and, and without anything in return, permitted the unification of Germany and Germany being in NATO. In fact, there is a, a Helmut Kohl records in one of his memoirs that when he said that you can go ahead, I actually had to repeat it to make sure that I heard it correctly. So even the West did not expect <laughs> that he would give in so easily without being asked. And certainly, I mean, a written guarantee, there's no such thing. In, as part of the, the selling of this enterprise of unification of uh, Germany, reunification of Germany, the Americans are supposed to have said. But of course, now there are many contrary versions about in what context it was said, how it was said, and so on. But certainly, he, he could have negotiated better, and he could have got perhaps, he never tried, so we can't tell. It's one of the what-ifs of history. But perhaps, he may have got himself a better deal, I mean, in terms of himself, Soviet Union, and, and Russia. Mr. Rawan, you, you mentioned uh, that, you know, President Vladimir Putin didn't ever frontally attack um, or criticize uh, Mr. Gorbachev. Uh, but interestingly, he laid flowers at Gorbachev's coffin 
but chose not to give him a state funeral. The Kremlin spokesman said elements of a state funeral would be extended to him. In the past, as, as I mentioned, he's been critical of uh, Gorbachev not doing any, enough about NATO's eastward expansion. After Gorbachev's death, Putin called him a man who left an enormous impact on the course of world history. So you think this is just being polite or does he mean what he's saying? No, he did have an enormous impact on world history. The point is whether it was positive, for whom was it positive and for whom was it was negative. So the fact that he left an enormous imprint on history is not incorrect. But let me come back to another point, you know, which, which is the, the, the uh, sensitivity of Putin's handling of Gorbachev. You know, yes, Gorbachev presided over the uh, decline of the or breakup of the Soviet Union, which was a tragedy for Russia. It is not a tragedy for the rest of the world. It was very good for much of the world. It ended the Cold War. It created the opportunities for most of the world in order to uh, break free of the shackles of the Cold War. So let's remember that. But the sensitivity that Putin has, you know, much of the degeneration that took place in Russia, in particular after the breakup of the Soviet Union, should be laid at the door not of Gorbachev, but of Yeltsin. You see, after all, the Soviet Union broke up, but it was Russia thereafter which sort of uh, virtually sank to the, almost the level of a failed state before Putin took it over. And that was because of the policies of Yeltsin. Now, Putin cannot, does not and cannot criticize Yeltsin because he is the product of Yeltsin. It is Yeltsin, it's because of Yeltsin and eventually because of Putin's being in Yeltsin's entourage that he rose to become the president, and it was Yeltsin who anointed him uh, various things. I mean, he, in, in a matter of about nine months, he became security council chief and prime minister, FSB chief, security council chief, prime minister, and then president. So actually, the criticism that he sometimes uh, indirectly levels at Gorbachev is more correctly laid at Yeltsin's door and not at Gorbachev's door. But because Yeltsin was his patron, Yeltsin got a state funeral and Gorbachev didn't. But that, that's, that's politics. And what would you say, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the breakup of the blocks, as it were, uh, you said it did sort of, you know, do, do a lot to end the world uh, Cold War and so on. But what's your sense, I mean, for a country like India, which has very close uh, relations uh, uh, with the Soviet Union, uh, we, have, we had a, a, you know, a friendship pact at a time when uh, India was in great trouble. So what was what is your sense? I mean, where did it leave countries like India, the collapse of the Soviet Union? See, the collapse of the Soviet Union was for India a huge jolt initially. Politically, its framework, uh, frame of reference changed. Economically, the structures that had been built up collapsed. So it was initially a huge blow. But I think in the long term, it has been excellent for India in the sense that like it has been for much of the world. You know, the end of the Cold War was very good for the entire world in the sense that it opened up relationships, political relationships across frontiers without this the, the ideological blocks. Uh, economically, it opened up the world. It enabled technology to come up and it enabled the countries to, you know, use technology to leapfrog stages of development. And so what you see today with things like the WTO, things like 
you know, a free trade system. All of that was made possible by the end of the Cold War and the breakup of the Soviet Union, and India benefited from it. If India is today what it is on the world stage, it is because the Cold War has ended and the Soviet Union has broken up. So for us, as for most other countries, it has been very good. And if for Russia it has been bad, it is because of the way Russia was managed immediately after the breakup. And, and it's because of what the first 10 years that Russia, that Russia handled this breakup. Now, coming back to India and the Soviet Union, after that breakup and after we had corrected our international network of relationships, our relations with Russia went back to, not Soviet Union now, but Russia, went back on to even keel when uh, Putin came in. And the period from 2000 onwards, and, and you have been part of that, you have actually, uh, I think, you were a uh, foreign correspondent when we had all these various uh, interactions with Russia, intensive interactions with Russia, and, and a kind of a, uh, the period, particularly from 2000 to 2010 or something like that, there was an intense interaction with Russia in, in a number of areas, political, economic, strategic, defense. So all of it we recovered very strongly. We had a very strong relationship with Gorbachev as well, I must mention. Because even though he was distracted by many world problems, Gorbachev had a special regard for India. He had a special regard for Rajiv Gandhi. In fact, Rajiv Gandhi became his confidant in various areas. So even during Gorbachev's time, we had a very good strategic partnership. And then after the break with Putin, it, it restarted and became a very vibrant strategic partnership. So, so what is your sense now? I mean, I mean, looking at the world as it stands today, there is uh, considerable criticism um, of uh, President Putin uh, for launching this uh, invasion of Ukraine. So would you say that these are some of these uh, the issues that are left over from the Cold War or the breakup of the Soviet Union that uh, continue to dog us uh, till date? Yes, that I would say that is certainly so. You know, one of the things that we as a world omitted to do after the end of the Cold War was to look at the order, the, the new order, new post-Cold War order. You know, after the World War II, there was an order that was set up. It may have been uh, beneficial for some, not beneficial for others, but there was an order which maintained peace uh, until the end of the Cold War. The post-Cold War the new realities, which is what I mentioned, that of countries now being open, trading with each other, moving around, globalization, technology, all of this has created a whole new world where even small and medium countries now feel empowered to stand up for their political and economic aspirations and to try to make their contribution to the global order. We have not actually... Uh, adjusted the global order to this new reality. So what is happening in Ukraine, what is happening basically in the Russian war in Ukraine, is illustrating the fact that a new security order, if you like, in Europe has not been established post-Cold War. It was just, it just happened as it happened. NATO expanded, Russia complained, Ukraine want, and Georgia wanted to become part of NATO, uh, Russia objected to it. There were some discussions. There were various discussions at various stages. It is now, it's too long uh, a story to be uh, gone into in detail here. But in short, we have not established a post-Cold War order in Europe. And if you see what is happening in the, in the Indo-Pacific, the same exact same thing is happening. When you see what the Chinese are doing in and around Taiwan, and when you see about what is happening with all these interactions in the Indo-Pacific region, 
the Asia Pacific changed into Indo Pacific now. It is again an illustration of the fact that we have not got out. We are trying to extrapolate an order which existed during the Cold War into a post Cold War situation, which is completely different. In the Indo Pacific, for example, the entire structure was aimed at countering the Soviet Union in the Asia Pacific. And the US umbrella, security umbrella over that region was against the Soviet Union. I mean, today the, the, the threat and the challenge is from China, not the Soviet Union. So you're trying to fix a system, a Cold War system for a post-Cold War, in a post-Cold War era, where the realities are different. And that's where we are today. And and would you say that, uh, you know, looking at the attitude of the West or those who perceived themselves as victors, uh, you know, after the Cold War was over, I mean, do you think that the West has sufficiently readjusted its strategic view of Europe uh, and the rest of the world to allow for a more equal accommodation of powers and interests in the world? No, that is in fact what has not happened in complete form. It has happened in many ways. You see, even the rise of uh, structures like the G20 is a recognition of the fact that you need a broader participation in the global, particularly the global economic and financial architecture. That is what G20 is all about. But so there are there is this recognition, even a, a grouping like BRICS managed to increase the participation of uh, these countries, you know, B, R, I, uh, C and S uh, in the global uh, financial arch- and economic architecture. So some things have happened. The WTO is another example of how a, a new economic order was sought to be established. What has not happened is a political order which corresponds to this and which fully accommodates the interests, the political and security interests of countries which believe that they should have a greater say in this. And that is what has not happened. That's what we are seeing today. You, you know, you mentioned, uh, Mr. Raghavan, uh, that, you know, the strategic engagement India had with Russia. And I do remember in 2002 doing an interview with President Putin in the Kremlin uh, for the Hindu. And I do recall that uh, Russia's foreign exchange reserves were just a billion dollars at that time. And today we know the story is quite different. So, so do you think that this economic clout uh, that uh, Russia now has, it wants to sort of reflect in its political standing and that it needs to be taken seriously by other powers in the world? Russia has been wanting to be taken seriously by other powers of the world uh, for the last 20 years, ever since uh, President Putin became uh, president. You, you are right when you uh, interviewed him in 2002. You know, Russia was still recovering from the economic and social chaos of the Yeltsin years. But blessed by the fact, you know, at that time, again, they were blessed by the fact that oil prices and gas prices rose very sharply. So in the period from 2000 to 2008, 9, something like that, Russia restored its economic strength on the back mainly of uh, energy prices. But Essentially, Putin managed to restore order, both economic prosperity, political order, social order, by whatever means. I mean, I'm not. We don't need to judge the means that he used in his country. But the fact is that they, he, he took Russia to a level of prosperity and to a level of political unity that enabled it to then speak on equal terms with the rest of the world. You see, before that, if you see what happened 
the uh, expansion of NATO, Russia was actually helpless to stop the expansion of NATO because it was too weak. It's only by about 2008, 9, 10 that they started making noises about further expansion of NATO. And that's where Ukraine and Georgia came under the scanner. So they have been wanting to be taken seriously. Their constant gripe is that they're not being taken seriously. We must also accept that Central Europe has its own gripes about Russia. The Baltics have their own gripes about Russia. And the West Europeans think a little differently from Russia than the former Warsaw Pact countries and the Baltic countries who have had a longer and more difficult experience with Russia. The point is that all these needed to be reconciled and brought into some kind of an equilibrium, which is what has not happened. And the Ukraine war is a result of that. Mr. Raghavan, we leave it here for uh, this episode of the Hindus in Focus podcast. Thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wonderful to be with you again. In Focus, we'll be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.